0: graduate studies on sleep, I mean we know a lot and we know enough to change the world but we don't know how to change the world. I want the good news about all we know about sleep to be deployed within society. That was Julie
1: Carrier a full professor at Department of Psychology in University de Montréal, and a researcher at Saint-Élysée on Medicine en Médecine du Sommé at Hôpital de Sacré-Cœur de Montréal. I'm Madhura Lutikar, a PhD student in neuroscience at McGill University, trying to find effective ways of coping with the depression. Welcome to another episode of the Science and Policy Exchange podcast. Today, I hope you all have slept well, because sleep is essential. There needs to be no other reason to justify having or craving good sleep. One-third of our life is spent sleeping, and that's, of course, if you are sleeping enough. But there are chances that you have not. One-third of the population in Canada and worldwide do not get enough sleep. This garners tremendous costs to the government. And this is because lack of sleep affects mood, memory, workplace productivity, attention, decision-making, and creativity. It increases the risk of neurological disorders, cardiovascular diseases, risk of roadside accidents, and medical errors. Many industrial accidents, in fact, have been linked to insufficient sleep, resulting in far-reaching consequences. While this situation sounds bleak, there is a silver lining. As you heard from Julie, sleep research has enough evidence to start integrating into policies and better the world. Hence, I wanted to interview Dr. Julie Carrier to get insights into a meeting that was organized by Canadian Sleep and Circadian Network in 2020, which was led by her and others. The meeting aimed to discuss a national strategy for incorporating sleep and circadian rhythms into public health initiatives and policies in Canada. I was thrilled to read highlights of this meeting in a journal article. So for the audience, in brief, the key priorities discussed during this meeting were as follows. The public health implications of atypical work schedules, the public health implications of pediatric and adolescent sleep health and circadian rhythms, and the public health implications of insomnia and obstructive sleep apnea. The paper also outlines the strategies for each of these priorities to integrate sleep research advancements within each of these realms into public health policies. I'm working in the sleep field and I quickly noticed that most of the messaging or research is about the negative effects of sleep deprivation or sleep disorders on our brain or our health. Very few studies, comparatively, focus on the positive effects of sleep in improving outcomes, such as um, reducing the risk of disorders. So this gives the impression of a negatively framed messaging where attention to sleep appears to be limited to those who are affected by sleep disorders or who are affected by its absence. But in reality, in my opinion, getting good sleep should be the aim for everybody. It should be everybody's business. Then I came across the paper with the title, Sleep Health, Can We Define It? Does It Matter? By Daniel Bussey, who made an argument for defining sleep health and benefit of defining it. And he made a great analogy in that where he goes, cardiovascular health is not only an absence of heart attacks, or mental health is not merely an absence of schizophrenia we have measures to keep our heart fit currently. I think it has implications on sleep health promotion programs and even early diagnosis if we if we do not define sleep health. So what is your opinion on this? Do we need a sleep health definition? And why don't we have it now?
0: Yeah, I think that's a very good question. Uh, and I'm not sure the field really had a clear opinion of what is sleep health. Yeah. For sure, as you mentioned, Sleep health first, for sure, it will be not having a sleep disorder. That's the easy part yeah. of it. But now when you don't have a sleep disorder, what would be a, a good sleep health? And up to now, it took years actually for the sleep research even to arrive to a consensus about the duration yeah. of sleep. I have been in the field for like 30 years and actually it only has been in the past 10 years that we had some recommendation regarding sleep duration and it took us a long time before we arrived to a consensus. So I would say this is why we hear in the public domain, when we talk about sleep health in the population that is not having a sleep disorder, usually we talk about having a sufficient amount of sleep like seven to nine hours for the the adult, for instance. In terms of what quality a person needs to have in those seven to nine hours of sleep is way less known, actually. and And this is why I think that usually in the public domain, when we talk about Sleep health for the regular population, we talk about mostly about the duration Mm -hmm. of sleep. Mm -hmm. And even the duration of sleep, without talking about the quality of sleep, we already know that only for this variable, there are some very important challenges within the society. Because a big proportion of the population, especially the youth and the young adults, do not reach the recommendation of sleep duration. But it's difficult to talk about having a high quality of sleep if you exclude the duration of sleep. Because even research is not entirely clear what is a real good sleep. Of course, you need to have all the sleep stages, you need to have some deep sleep, you need to not wake up too much. I think we are still unclear of what would be the marker of a very high quality sleep beyond having a sufficient amount of sleep. At least if. The healthcare practitioners were asking the person, How do you feel your sleep quality is? First of all, they will grab way more people complaining about their subjective. Uh, sleep quality, and the second question that should be asked is how many hours of sleep do you get yeah. because for me, it's not I always tell that to the young population also I mean they ask uh, should we do naps should we should we have regular sleep wake schedule. And of course in the in in an ideal society people will sleep when they need to sleep and will sleep a, a sufficient amount of sleep but for me one of the problem with society right now and especially the young population because of their high productivity social productivity work productivity everything that is needs to be productive and sleep in their head is not productive
1: yeah. is
0: at least at least they should have a sufficient number of hours of sleep. And I always tell them, sleep anytime you wish, at least sleep. Because the amount of sleep loss right now within society, it's really alarming. And you're right that if we want to do some educational program, etc., Maybe we need to have a better definition of sleep quality, but people know usually when Mm -hmm. you ask them, did you sleep well or not? It's even a question. So usually people will tell you, I didn't sleep well, or I don't have a good sleep. But at least if we could, for me, only the objective of having the entire population having a sufficient amount of sleep for me, Mm -hmm. if I see that before I retire, I will be a happy girl. In the meantime, we could continue to ask ourselves what will be the optimal sleep quality? But I think these answers may take some time. And for sure, in terms of health, policies or in terms mm-hmm. of, of health knowledge mobilization about sleep I think that there is one alarming fact is that a big segment of the population doesn't sleep a sufficient amount of mm-hmm. uh, hours I see
1: that's a that's a really great insight so with the current knowledge, we should start asking people something simple and measurable in clinics while the research continues to find easy markers of sleep quality. I think that itself will make people think about their sleep. So you have already highlighted some of the important gaps in the field, but I want to talk to you about 2020 meeting. Which needs or gaps did you identify that prompted you to organize this meeting in the first place?
0: Yeah, we realized that the sleep field, I mean, there have been huge, huge progress in our knowledge about Uh, even if we don't have all the questions, I mean, all the answers, we did huge steps in understanding the role of sleep for physical, cognitive, emotional health. Most of this research was fundamental research and or clinical research or fundamental research with humans. But now after like more than say uh, 40 years of active research, what we realize is that we know a lot more. We have some solution. Though solutions are not deployed, Right. Within, within society. And most of the population, actually, if you look at behavior of the population, they tend to sleep less, at least some age group mm-hmm. tend to sleep less and mm-hmm. are considering uh, sleep as unimportant. So my motivation when I organized that is I said, well, we need to, and one of the reasons is that the sleep researchers are clinicians and or fundamental researchers researchers or uh, human researchers into their labs and that we need actually to bring science within Mm -hmm. society, within health policies, if we want to change the world (laughs) with the the knowledge that we now have about sleep. So that was my motivation, the same motivation that I did fundamental research with humans for 25 years. And now at my age, I want to change the world. I want or the, the science result to be influencing the health system, the decision makers, the way that schedules are handled uh, within the private sector or the health system, et cetera. So I want the, the good news about all we know about sleep to be mm-hmm. deployed within society. So that was the, yeah. the deep motiv- motivation. And in those lack, we realized that there is not a lot of research on sleep and circadian rhythm that is oriented on public health or using public health interventions, uh, studying public health intervention. The reason is quite easy to understand is that we we don't uh, do enough mm-hmm. <laughs> training in public health uh, mm-hmm. also uh, regarding uh, sleep. That
1: is so true. We are not trained in the public health field to be able to join all the dots from knowledge generation to deployment of solutions. There are so many more factors to consider for for a decision maker in addition to science. So clearly, this is not a job one set of professionals like scientists. And clearly, it makes sense that in CSCN's meeting, you had experts from diverse sectors like scientists across Canada, public health experts, industry partners, healthcare providers. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, sleep scientists in that group are also clinicians,
0: that was the first meeting, actually, where the stakeholders and, and mm-hmm. they may differ depending because sleep is also very vast domain. You know, yeah. you go from the clinical sleep disorder, you go through sleep in the children, in, in the adults, shift work. So it's a huge domain. And depending of on what you want to change or what you want to deploy, you may need different stakeholders. But mm-hmm. for sure. The sleep researchers by themselves cannot do the deployment of all those action uh, across society. So this first meeting was really an attempt to bring some of the key uh, stakeholders into a relationship with the sleep researchers. Mm-hmm. So in order to deploy the intervention, you mm-hmm. need to work with uh, the partners that are in the middle of the the action. For instance, mm-hmm. I have been studying recently uh, mostly or I was mostly interested to deploy solutions for health workers that typical working schedule. I have plenty, plenty of uh, knowledge about sleep, circadian rhythm, regulation, etc. And And we know, and we have some solution that we could deploy. But this is way bigger <laughs> than the sleep question, because yeah. the health System workers are working in an environment that has some rules, uh so you need to work with the the people that are uh, doing the administration of those. You need to think about the schedules, but you need to think about uh, how you will be able to provide uh, the services to the population across those schedules, so it go way beyond only the principle of the sleep science, yeah. So you need to be working with them, telling them what you know about the sleep and circadian science, but they need to tell you also what they know about how you regulate a health system
1: yeah. and
0: how you uh, and what you can do and cannot do, uh, for instance, with the schedules of the the, the workers. Yeah. So what we want is not to uh, put science and, and, and say science has, and sleep and circadian science has all the answers, right. saying that right. here we are with our science mm-hmm. and, and can we talk together in, the, in order to improve Some uh, or deploy some solutions for the people, for instance, that has no choice but uh, doing some atypical work schedule, but they are specialists. So, so we have all the specialists and Mm -hmm. the sleep science is one of a small part. Of of this, but at least yeah. we are bringing the questions. For instance, yeah. in Quebec right now, mm-hmm. there has been crisis and <laughs> in the health systems with uh, the the employees leaving the system, and mm-hmm. one of the major reason is the schedule. <laughs> right. And of course, we don't have all the answer, but at least we could help also to provide some answers regarding to those schedules or have solutions for those that do have problems with those atypical schedules. Yeah. So you're right. So it's, it's. Uh, I think the sleep field, it has a point that it needs really to co-create.
1: Yeah, yeah. Science can only inform decisions, but uh, we are only one piece of a bigger puzzle. We are not trained for the entire puzzle. There are ministers, healthcare professionals, administrators that need to be involved. Plus, we need to understand the needs of the individual setting that we are dealing with, like the needs of employees in the hospitals who work for 30 hours or so, and the needs of settings where night shift work is needed or or where caregiver burnout is evident. Moving on, earlier you mentioned about lack of training for scientists in the the realm of public health as one barrier into uh, integrating sleep research into policies. What are other factors, according to you, that impede integration? despite there being significant knowledge in sleep
0: research? The training is very important. I was talking about uh, training people in public health uh, in order to have at some point some researchers interested in, in public health and sleep. But training is lacking everywhere. I mean it's lacking with the health professional. I mean, I was a professor, I'm a professor in psychology. Uh, the psychologists are could be first line in order to treat some sleep disorders. There is absolutely almost no training at all on sleep. So so one is that. And the other is that although we are making a lot of interviews on the media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on the specialized uh, journal, on the radio, etc., even though people are saying, yes, I think sleep is important, there is, we were able at least to put sleep onto, I mean, people are interested to hear about, about yes. sleep, but this is not sufficient. We yes. are at the stage that we need, and this is why I want to discuss with people in public health and in, with different field of expertise now we made n- noise enough that people mm. know that there is a sleep science uh, that that sleep is probably important but we were not and we are not able to change a behavior yeah. and the best consideration for that is is to see the young population mm-hmm. going back to the inefficient <laughs> number of hours of sleep yeah. things are not getting better Things are Mm -hmm. tend to at least be stable, or even worse in some population. So even though you make noise, noise Mm -hmm. is not sufficient to change the behavior of the population. If I ask you, what is the cost? What are the? What is the cost? Social cost, economical cost of of sleep, lack of sleep, or Mm -hmm. decrease in sleep quality of our insomnia or sleep apnea in Canada or in Quebec, actually, it's quite scary that we we don't have enough studies. I mean, when I'm talking to decision makers, of course, for them, this is the first question that they will ask is how much it costs and what solution will be efficient to reduce the cost. Yeah. So maybe that's not very romantic as a way of, of governing, but that's it. I mean, if cancer is receiving a lot of attention or whatever, mm-hmm. it's also because people were able to show diabetes or, or physical exercise that could be also very linked to Change in health styles, etc. It's because people were able to say, you know, this is a good thing because it's increasing physical activity is good because it's increasing productivity, because it, it will cost less to society. It will prevent some major chronic disease, et cetera. And this is why people decided to, okay, we will invest in some health public initiative because that will be very efficient for society. I think sleep is not yet there. And we did work on that also with the uh, Canadian Sleep and Circadian Network is to Mm. define the burden of illness. What is the cost of insufficient sleep on productivity, on chronic disease, on etc. But we need to have those data also for Canada, for Quebec, for each of the provinces, if we want to be at some point able to, to convince the decision makers that we need to invest on that.
1: And I think this goes back to the point of sleep health. There are a lot of papers that show how lack of sleep or sleep or sleep disorders can increase the cost of for healthcare. But really, is there I'm not aware, I want to ask you, is there an intervention which shows that okay, if population is sleeping better, the outcomes are going to be better? And
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. But but yes and no. So this is starting to be the case, but mm-hmm. it took a while for the sleeve mm-hmm. feel in order to say, okay, we need also to, to work with economists to look at how much cost we are actually, I mean, we know that it's very, we know that CPAP is very efficient to reduce the amount of CPAP, but what are the costs of this intervention, and what amount of costs society doesn't have to pay? because we are treating them. Right. What research have been done very, very good is to show that for a particular individual or a group of individual, if they sleep better, they will function better. But we need more than that. If it's yeah. not a question of only quality of life or the fact that one individual is feeling better, we need also to make the demonstration that this is also will have positive impact on the entire society. That how much it will reduce costs of chronic illness, how much it will reduce uh, costs of, of everything actually. Yeah. So so, yeah. so increase productivity in the work, etc. So yeah. this uh, there are some studies, but not enough for sure, mm. and very 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 few. Canadian mm-hmm. ones, okay. but we are a short community, and 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 mm-hmm. this short community was raised by clinicians and fundamental researchers, and we are doing all the same type of studies, and this is why I want to that when I say that sleep research needs to go uh, and have collaboration with economists, with public health research, etc. this is how we will be able at some point to get the data that we need yeah. in order to convince also the decision makers.
1: So do you think increasing funding or creating funding competitions for such intersectorial efforts will encourage scientists to seek collaborations and
0: undertake such projects? I would say that in terms of funding, research funding, I'm yeah. talking they have been a good support uh, from CIHR up to mm-hmm. now, but, need, but needs to be extended, I mm-hmm. would say, mm-hmm. to um, to other partners also, as you said. So, yes, I would say it's a question of founding, but it's also a question of of. Encouraging intersectorial and interdisciplinary mm-hmm. uh, studies. But for that, you need to, and I'm going back to training. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, it's all a circle. Yes. So I think that researchers of my generation are realizing this, but I will not be the one that is able to train a mm-hmm. student. To mm-hmm. have this approach, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm trying to convince economics economic uh, researchers yeah. though to get involved. Yeah. That will take some time. Yes, but that doesn't prevent any type of intervention during that time. And those mm-hmm. those things will will go slowly. But at least I think the environment, the Sleep Research Society, now understand that we still need fundamental research. We mm-hmm. still need clinical research. Mm -hmm. on sleep, but we need also to expand the expertise.
1: Absolutely. So if I try to summarize this, apart from lack of awareness uh, about the importance of sleep health in public as being one of the barriers, funding is another barrier. But more importantly, we need to generate evidence for the economic impact of issues associated with sleep in Canadian context and also how the implementation of certain strategies can uh, decrease the cost to the government and society. I think that will really help to convince decision makers that this issue is a grave issue. And uh, lastly, it's also important to expand the expertise to achieve these goals.
0: I was really jealous for years of of the physical activity because for me, this is like the best uh, example of uh, two things. One Mm -hmm. is that You were way too young for that, but there was like the participation campaign when I was young that stayed for years. It's still there, but less popular, I would say. I mean, people agreed very rapidly that physical activity is important and public health is into physical activity. Everybody knows that physical activity is good. Is everybody doing physical activity? That's another question. I'm not saying that they have been successful on, yeah. on all level, yeah. but they were very efficient. So we, we tried to mimic, and you realize that when you talk to the people that were there, there was also a question of, of luck within mm-hmm. that at some mm-hmm. point in time. But now, the, of course, the evidence-based evidence, I mean, they, they are, I would say, 10 years before us. So, mm-hmm. they, they, they got evidence-based data before us. They got also uh, economical impact costs of not having physical activity at least 10 years before. So, I hope that uh, we will continue and and be as successful we should continue even for physical activity because yeah. when you look at the level of physical activity in the young yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not difficult. it's degrading because probably of new technologies and and stuff like that so it's a, it's always a, in french i would say combat a battle okay. uh, that that you need it's not it's never finished and mm-hmm. and that you can always refine and I think sleep research is at this point. that now we need to move on to another mm-hmm. level and to teach our graduate student, postdoc, etc., to at least learn how to collaborate. Yes, and and to extend their their interests not only onto their specific science, uh, but also to ask themselves how they can bring. This general knowledge that we have, I mean, you know, when you start graduate studies on sleep, I mean, we know a lot, (laughs) but, and, and we need, we know enough Mm. to start to change the world, but we don't know how to change the world. So we will need to collaborate in order to bring those results into society And it's only be by having us talk with other disciplines. Gosh,
1: that's so true. It's not always seen as a great thing. If you say I could sleep an hour extra or enough, but it's often praised if you do one hour of exercise, which is great, but it's just the difference in the perception and association of sleep with being lazy or not being productive enough, which is, which is really counterproductive, I think. And, even, even anecdotally, we do not commonly talk about sleep with our friends or, or family, but we often talk about other behaviors like physical activity, diet, or even negative effects of smoking or alcohol consumption. But for sure, the public attitude towards sleep could be a fuel to the current sleep issues. Support of the Canadian Commission for UNESCO Joint Science and Policy Exchange for a discussion about the policies and emerging technologies shaping the future of Canada's carbon emissions and the ongoing challenges to achieving net-zero emissions by 2050. This public forum event will happen virtually on Zoom on February 7, 2024, at 5:30 p.m. Eastern Time. Link to register is on our website and social media pages. There also will be live interpretation in English and in French. In October 2023, Science and Policy Exchange held our annual Equity, Diversity and Inclusion event sponsored by the Canadian Commission for UNESCO. This event titled EDI in action, inspiring BIPOC across the Canadian science policy landscape, focused on inspiring graduate students and early career scientists who may be interested in the field of science policy. The discussion also centered on the challenges BIPOC may face and how EDI is being promoted in the field. If you missed the event but are interested in learning more, the link to the YouTube recording is in the podcast description. We broadly discuss barriers and needs. Let's gear towards discussing strategies. I think of the place of strategies as somewhere in the middle of needs and barriers. So, for example, research has shown that atypical work schedules are associated with shift work disorder, insomnia, and sleepiness during work time, or rather, any kind of sleep deficiency can have lasting impacts. But we cannot eliminate night shifts or irregular schedules like overnight or even change the behavior of society overnight to sleep more. So we need the solutions. We need to find solutions to meet somewhere uh, in the middle such that the employees and the employers' needs are satisfied, the workplace is safe, health consequences are managed better, where risks and benefits are ideally balanced. So, I'll make a quick note here for the audience. Uh, in the paper, they discuss the broad strategies common to top four priorities mentioned before, and they dive into specific solutions for each priority. Broadly, the strategies common to all four priorities were as follows Increase public health sleep research, increase public health education and knowledge inform and support public health interventions and policies. And the last one, promote sleep health training. My question to you, Julie, is how can a network like CSCN work to enact these strategies that were identified? Example, we have an educational program developed for the betterment of health, such as the one mentioned in the paper, Sleep for Success, Or better sleep for better days. How can CSCN work together to reach school boards or education ministers or or necessary stakeholders and go beyond just one school or one organization?
0: The good thing that the, the network did was to bring the entire community together within some objective. But still, now we do have some various conversation because now the network has been replaced by the consortium. I mean, the funding is changing places. And one of the the challenges that we have right now and that we do discuss very fluently between one each other is to keep us as a single voice, at least that we keep together in mm-hmm. terms of the energy, but because it's a small community and that mm-hmm. we'll need to reach to the society in order to deploy the solution, but we need to uh, keep the forces together. That's the first step. And I think we are doing a good job with that. The second step will be also that we will not be able to resolve everything at the same time. And that will not, that may depend on on a very structured organization. Let's say yeah. I will start with the children and then the older people and then the sleep apnea. That will not happen this way. Yeah. It will depend on the forces that are there and that are interested to invest in that. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we need not to forget is that a lot of health and education is provincial department.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly.
0: So one thing that we are thinking right now is also to organize the forces at the provincial level, because uh, a lot of the decisions, for instance, uh, at what time schools will open, it's not a question of, that will not be a coast-to-coast Canadian issue that will go that may also go locally and then go uh, provincially yeah. so we are trying to deploy but that's that's not easy because we are still a very small community I mean we we do know one each other very well yeah. I mean coast to coast because in the, the highest years of the Canadian network we were like maybe 300 people including the students this this is a small Community. If you divided them by all the provinces, and and so we cannot do all at the same time. But I think that some uh, researchers were able to start to develop some intervention that are that or actions that were inspiring. But they need to go beyond the research program. You know, yeah. that's that's where there is a missing link. Uh, and this is why we are trying to develop this expertise, not only the researchers, but the researchers with society. So how, for instance, the young generation of researchers or clinicians will be able to not being specialized in how you talk to decision makers, but at least we'll be able to understand how important those questions are and how they can collaborate in order to make their research projects not only a paper in the scientific review, not only a knowledge mobilization project that will stay in one school or two schools, but how can we learn to leverage them as tools, small tools, but tools that will touch the maximum number of people. And this is what we do not teach our graduate students. And and this is not, it's not one person that will make it, but at least to understand that there is a science. And if we want the science to change the world, we need to think about collaborating with others. So for me, I didn't have at all this knowledge. I had the desire to employ sleep solutions. And CSCN was uh, collaborating with consultants on communication or consultants, on uh, even lobbying at some point, that we no. learn how we should, beside the science, bring the science to society. But it's a big challenge. It's still yes. a big challenge. I mean, I don't think that society understands how important it is yet, yes. even though they are very interested in the idea.
1: Yeah, yeah, you talked about communication consultants, and this is so timely for me because another day I mentioned to you about my recent uh, internship at B Mode, which is a medical communications agency that works at the intersection of patients, healthcare professionals, and pharma companies, who who are their clients. And I was so blown away to learn the strategies that the pharma companies put in place to promote their product and ensure that it reaches widely. Like they arrange educational programs for HCPs. They have advisory boards and consultations to understand the needs of patients and HCPs. They will have medically triggered emails, et cetera, et cetera. And it got me thinking about what we, the research institutions, can do or which strategies we can employ to effectively communicate the research on Behavioral health science, like sleep, are how we can, how can we inform solutions to decision makers? Because perhaps unless it's a disease for which the pharma companies have drugs for, they won't communicate this to their stakeholders, right? But they do
0: those that are doing drugs for sleep disorders, they do, and they do it quite well actually because they have the money in order to to do it. But that was one of the strategies that we had. We did collaborate also with having three harms with them, these are one of the stakeholders that we need to work with uh, also because they have, of course, they have the intention of selling some drugs, but they also have the intention of having the doctors, we have the same intention of having society mobilized for sleep. And so within the stakeholders that we were able to bring together, and they are still there also, is to... See how together yeah. we can uh, push uh, the situation of of uh, sleep or to enhance the sleep awareness into the decision making yeah. level. Yeah. So so we uh, these are one of the sta- the stakeholders that yeah. uh, but researchers cannot do it. And and people can agree that this is the private sector and should we go there or not go there? I think the important is, is more that we make sure that we are working on the message that is common for all of us. And the fact to go beyond sleep awareness, to go beyond awareness, to go to deploying solution, we will need to take all the forces that yeah. are there.
1: Yeah, that was really an eye-opening experience for me. And I try to draw parallels to my work from my experience there. Anyways, I'm I'm curious about one last point. So this meeting was aimed to establish the national strategy for implementing sleep policies, but ECO Canada health policies are mostly under provincial jurisdictions. And so how can a national strategy help orient provincial regulations?
0: And is this the reason why a hazard survey is under its way? So that but that's you're you're very brilliant. <laughs> yes, the Canadian network, uh the founding stopped and then the consortium was raised. So but these as I said are federal and, and the Canadian Sleep Society, they are all federal forces. Yeah. So this strategy because we did work, uh, the Canadian Sleep Society did work for years with, with consultant that I worked with also at the Canadian Sleep and Circadian Network that really rapidly told us, you know, that's okay, those national federal thing, but mm-hmm. if you want to change the world, you will need to change each province. Right, And we thought that that was was making plenty of sense. And right now, as you mentioned, you need to have enough sleep people within the province also. You need to have enough people that will be able to talk to the people to make the link with the community, etc. So as you know, in Quebec, we are probably the province with the most, the the highest number of sleep researchers because Mm -hmm. of historical thing. We were thinking about all of this. And then there was this opportunity uh, in Quebec where uh, they wanted to found some networks. But because we did all this thinking before Mm -hmm. doing action at the federal level, and then saying, well, we should start in provinces, but you need to have some kind of money in order to organize the people together, to have meetings, to to have someone that will coordinate the efforts, mm-hmm. etc. So we saw this opportunity and, and we were ready. So this is why Nadia Slain decided to take the lead and said, I will bring the Quebec community together yes. and we hope for the best that yeah. that will get founded. Yeah. But that will be the first blueprint we call it the blueprint about let's try to see how what we are developing at the national level yeah. can be useful for the provincial level but let's the provincial level yeah. do their own action decide their own priority, depending of what is the interest there, where we have most chances to uh, be able to make a difference and talk with the stakeholders in Quebec and and try to uh, develop links in order to deploy some strategies that will be more Mm -hmm. provincial-like. Exactly. So that will be the first attempt at the provincial level. And we hope that if the, the network is founded, that that will give the little spark in other provinces, like another province where they have several, several researchers is also mm-hmm. Ontario. Okay. Of course, in the West, there is also uh, some researchers, mostly maybe more in sleep apnea, but mm-hmm. let's make them with their own priorities. Yep. But you need to have something. In Quebec, we were lucky because we have enough, uh, researchers, and there was this call for networking, and we were ready. So, one of the big actions that they did building the network was well, the first step is to reach to stakeholders, and wow. the number of Quebec stakeholders ra- raising their hands saying, We are interested. Wow. So, even At the, for instance, at the level of sleep in children, there were people saying yes. We want to collaborate with you, in terms of, even one team that was unexpected was sleep at work. Actually, when we we had uh, one meeting with the Quebec stakeholders, we invited researchers from other fields than sleep, uh, working more on the work environment and and administration and stuff, yeah. Yeah. and everybody got excited. So there were some new links in terms of research, nice. but also when we went to talk to the stakeholders, they raised hand because they they realize now that they need to address sleep also within their uh, working environment yeah. for terms of productivity and, and etc. So So we hope for the best, but that will be the first uh, attempt of like having still building on the forces of the of Canada because mm-hmm. such a small community needs also to put the Canadian forces together, but also to deploy one provincial attempt that can take strength from the federal level, but yeah. also develop its own uh, identity.
1: Yeah. That's great! I'm really excited for Chesa and I think we're gonna know in January at some yeah, point. Yeah, we hope. I mean, I,
0: if this is not funded, uh, I that will be the biggest surprise, negative surprise of my life. Because honestly, this even if I was not a sleep researcher. Uh, Adrien, Nadia, and, and the entire team were able to show not only that it's l- relevant, but it's mm-hmm. exactly where the field is at. Network mm-hmm. together with other disciplines to network with the stakeholders in Quebec in order to deploy solutions. So if this is not working, I will complain.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. It's, it's needed and I'm really excited also because I think this is a great way in which students can get trained in
0: absolutely and that that's exactly that's exactly the way that yeah. you would have those opportunities because the stakeholders will be in uh, young investigators will be able to interact and yeah. that will be the, the first step of of having conversation yeah. outside your laboratory and outside yeah. your specific research questions. Honestly, I would be very, very disappointed. I know that it's always a, a tough thing to get such a big grant, so mm-hmm. the competition is very high. I would not yeah. understand if we don't get it.
1: <laughs> no, also, because this is, I feel this is one of a kind. Uh, that there Hasn't been such a big initiative at the provincial level with the goals that the network has.
0: Yeah, and it's timely because the community needs to be there. I think now we are ready, and the next generation will will learn a lot from that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, I really hope the best for this may and I'm very excited about it. A big thanks to Dr. Julie Cartier for joining us today and sharing so much knowledge with us on very important issues. I would also like to thank Maya Daxian, Gloria Lau and Jonathan Caballero for contributing to this episode. If you'd like to hear more episodes on sleep policies, please let us know on our social media. See you in the next episode.